Next on Rugby Wrap-Up was the match in Washington, D.C. between the Eagles and the All Blacks. Good, bad, or ugly? Tony Riddell, Eagle number 168, and Rugby United New York executive Rick Salizzo answer the question. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by Box for Grow, the future of cannabis farming. We box you in to increase your yield and profit. The Pig and Whistle, the world's best rugby pub, and Lean and Limber, stretching your way to a healthier lifestyle. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy in New York City. Thank you for joining us once again. And I am joined by Mr. Tony Ridnell, Eagle number 168, I believe, for Team USA, and Mr. Rick Salizzo, who is not just a beaming All Blacks fan from New Zealand, but he also has a stake here in the United States as the CEO slash president of Rugby United New York. Rick, do I have that wrong? Senior consultant is my official term. That's fine. He's a big shot with Rugby United New York and Major League Rugby. Tony, I, I had the pleasure of watching the match basically next to you and knew better than to poke the bear and basically left you alone because it looked like your head was going to explode. And I just wanted you to tell some of the people why, because I know you're not exactly thrilled with what happened. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that. I, I think we all go into these games with a modest degree of anticipation, you know, not not certainly not to win a game like this, but to front up and to show and to, to gain some respect in, in the world, rugby world community. Um, and that's certainly, you know, I, I think generations before, you know, that's kind of the way we played, played for it, you know, just really, really battled for, you know, global recognition in whatever way. And... And in matches like this, you had to take advantage of that that occasion. You, you, you get so few of them. And for me, Saturday was just the culmination of, you know, just sort of the, the nadir of the complete slap in the face, which I think we're all looking at. If we look at it realistically, we've got to look at it realistically. We're just not there in numbers. We're not there athletically. We're not there in coaching. We're not there in refereeing. And really our trends are not particularly great at this particular time. We're going to talk about the MLR a little later, which I think is just an absolute godsend to the American rugby community um, and obviously very supportive. But on the day on Saturday, it was just a slap on the face. The All Blacks were athletically uh, superior to us, one through 15. And for an American team to be just look like that athletically, speed, power, so, you know, just looking at the opening kickoff, you know, one phase, all black score. There, there, were several, there were several tries that were scored that looked like the all blacks were in a training run playing against a defensive side that was playing 50% speed, which is the way we used to, you know, which we used to train. And that's kind of the way it looked like this, this particular track meet. And I don't think we should get down and all bummed out about any individuals, about any coaching, about any whatever, but just recognize the fact that this is a nader for American rugby. Our selects, our junior selects, uh, lost to Brazil, 33 to 20, down in Brazil, uh, you know, to a Brazilian junior team. Uh, it's just, it's that's bordering on the point of disgraceful. Losing to Uruguay the way we did is bordering on the point of disgraceful. And I, I think... It's not looking at, again, at the players or the teams or the coaching at this particular time. 
it's all the things that have led up to this time for us to be slapped in the face like we did this weekend. And that might be the only optimistic thing to take away from the weekend, the fact that if we're going to bid for a Rugby World Cup in 2031, the kids that are going to ideally play in that World Cup are now ages 15 to 18. So that would tell me that we want to put every single resource we can into growing and developing the high school games. So this match, you know, in my opinion, on the field, a total disaster. Off the field, a total disaster. We made less than $200,000 net. The All Blacks made 1.3 mil, and uh, the promoters made seven figures as well. Let me ask this question, and I'm going to let Rick answer it first. Sure. Should this match have been played? Rick. Look, I think um, absolutely it should have been played. I think, you know, in 10 years' time, we'll look back to that game and go, thank goodness that game happened because we were able to sort of go, right, we've got some work-ons here. Um, and, you, Matt, you're always giving me a hard time after every game for being miserable. Um, but that's a national characteristic of the Kiwi is that we <laughs> are constantly looking about how we can get better rather than patting ourselves on the back about how good we are. And even the All Blacks after that game, they're talking about what they could have done better. And if you look at some of the stats, one of the things I thought was really interesting is the number of turnovers was quite close. So the All Blacks were quite willing to make mistakes. You know, they, the number of passes that went along the ground that then got scooped up because they just had an attitude of, and, and again, I mean, I'd, I'd say probably at the guess, probably 70% of their tries were started from a starter move inside their own 22. It was just, it was just a fearlessness and an attitude as well as the athleticism and the skill set. Gosh, Rick, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, the, the, the different... Here we are, you know, both both invested in USA Rugby in, in, in whatever sense we are. Um, and you watch that game from the perspective of, of the All Blacks. Quite frankly, if I was the All Blacks, you know, in the All Blacks coaching uh, setup, I'd be I'd be a little bit disappointed in the way that second half went. The turnover, there were 15 turnovers, an all-black team turning the ball over 15 times doesn't happen that often. And so, you know. To be quite realistic, I think the score actually was very kind to the United States. The All Blacks could have put up four or five more tries uh, with a little bit of, of uh, lack of razzle-dazzle there in the second half. But And, and I also think this was not a, a second team. You know, if, you've, if we've all watched the Rugby Championship, all of these players have featured um, and, and certainly different levels of, 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 of of interjection into the into the team obviously guys like Whitelock and Kane hadn't played in a number of weeks and they're going to come out like you know uh you know uh, half running mountain lions you know so so and they did and New Zealand played well but they didn't play great and I think that would I don't think I don't think the New Zealand setup would be happy with the with the way the run of play went because it certainly is not going to prepare them to play Wales this weekend in front of 60,000 you know, singing Welshman. We get to play Uruguay and now we're going to get to play Chile and, you know, we get to play Brazil. You, the opportunities to play the likes of a New Zealand are, you know, there, there have been four U.S. teams that have played this, this team. 60, 60 players have kicked off against New Zealand in United States rugby history. And so it's a unique opportunity, just like, the, just like any opportunity in a World Cup against a tier one nation when they're at their full throttle. 
So this was a unique opportunity, completely wasted by the United States, in my opinion, on and off the field. I was just really disappointed in, 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 our, in our mentality, the way we looked, our body language on the field, our body language walking on the field. Who, whoever's going to take the leadership role here, whatever that means, uh, needs to make some aggressive changes. So, Tony, where is your beef? Where does it lie in terms of this match? The match... You're, you're saying it should have been played, and I, I, I don't have I don't have a, I don't have a beef. I absolutely think the match should be played. Anytime an American rugby team gets to play the All Blacks, are you kidding? We should absolutely jump on any opportunity to do that. A test but window, regardless of test window, because everybody is making that. And well, Rick, you and I talk, well, talked about this off camera. It's like it wouldn't have made that big of a difference. Our guys just didn't, we just didn't show up. In addition to the fact we were playing the All Blacks, our guys just did not show up. Watch the first 28 seconds. Watch the first, the timidity in the first 28 seconds. We were absolutely not prepared to play that game. I just don't know. We just blew an opportunity. That's all. We just well, blew, gotta, it, blew an enormous Let, let me interject there for a second, because you did mention the 60-odd the players that did have the pleasure yeah. or the, the the honor of kicking off against the All Blacks. It's been since 1913, and it took us 108 years and three and a half matches to finally score our first try, and that came in the form of a relentless Nate Augsburger. But what, Nate, what, preparation, Nate was... what preparation did we have going into the match? That's my question. I mean, we, we, was, we obviously have been struggling, and we've been playing sporadically, or not at all. I, like, I, we're just not ready. To, we were just not ready to play. It has nothing to do with anything. Talent, coaching, anything. It's right here. Right like, here. Like, Matt, I mean, you had plenty of preparation. You had, like, two tests against Canada and two against Uruguay. So you had – the team had time together. I think the speed of the players, the speed of the thought, the speed of the ball um, – um, they're quite different when you've been playing Canada and Uruguay and then you go and the speed of the game, the speed of the game is the one defining difference and, yeah. and no, no question. Absolutely. Right. And I so, did speak to a number of the players later on after the match and they were perfectly frank about how that initial speed just dazzled them. And they didn't know whether to, you know, I'm talking about some of the backs they didn't know whether to to come up or or or, or retreat or and that you know that comes with experience I guess because you know I, I'm saying the All Blacks are coming off of playing against Argentina and you know they're coming off the Rugby Championship then they're coming off the Blood is Slow we're coming off of Canada and Uruguay yeah, but that's never going to change is it there are a few things you can control right. We can't control our experience. We can't control a number of things, but we can control our physicality. And just watch the replay of the game. I've watched this twice now. And our in this particular game, our, our mental state was such that our physicality was nowhere near any type of international level. It just wasn't. I, I'm not complaining. I'm not criticizing. It's just a fact. Gosh, what do we need to do to host a World Cup and be competitive in 10 years? That's kind of the question. I think that's, that's the, question. the question. So what do we learn from this? I mean, how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? Mate, how do we get better? Because the great thing about, you know, as I said, a, a poor Bronco is you go, right, I need to get fitter. It's like, okay, well, we, we know now that to be competitive at a higher level, there's some things we need to do. And it's how do we do them? And one of the things that I've noticed since I've been, I look, 
when you grow up in New Zealand, it's relatively, I'm not saying easy, but, you know, the All Blacks get the best athletes in the country. It's a small country, so everything is very focused and, and, and together, and there's a very strong development pyramid where everything's building to the top. I, I've said to my friends in New Zealand that they, they can't understand the vastness of the U.S., Right, and, and if you ask me, if you ask me to describe the USA rugby system with one word, I'd say fragmented, um, and that's due to its size. Um, and and there is a thousand million people that all think they have the answer, and they're all going off in their direction. Um, you know, even the fact that there's all these academies set up in this country by private individuals. So, you know, it's somehow for me is I think if you look at New Zealand rugby or South African rugby, they, they understand their DNA. They understand what New Zealand rugby is or what South African rugby is, and it suits the type of people they choose from, the place, the environment they come from. You know, South Africa and New Zealand play two completely different styles of game, but they suit that country. I, I don't know yet what the American DNA of rugby is. It's um, a great um, point. Because it's not, it's not just grabbing some guys from the UK with American passports and making that the game, or or from New Zealand or South Africa. Like this is probably the greatest sporting nation in the world. You know, it's probably the greatest collection of athletes. And to your point, it's like how do we convert that into rugby um, superiority? But it. It goes back to, first of all, working out what is the unique DNA of USA Rugby that no one else can do better. But that, to me, is step one. All right, guys, we have to take a quick break because we could go on for hours, the three of us. I can just listen to two of you. But we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to come back and talk about the MLR and the influence of that on the American rugby landscape and, by default, the Eagles right after this. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig and Whistle, on West 36th Street. Been blind since I was four. And I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste. And my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. It has a taste and the flavor. What do you think's on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. With Tony Riddell of the 1987 USA World Cup team, the first World Cup, which happened to be in Rick Salizzo's New Zealand. Rick, Tony, welcome back. Rick, you had five of your players starting for Team USA in this match, so you had to have mixed emotions. Uh, And the five guys were in the pack. What is your take on the MLR's influence on the Eagles going ahead? 
I think, and I'm not sure what Tony's position is, but I think the MLR is probably so important to the future of USA Rugby in terms of there's a focal point for development. So if I'm a young rugby player and I'm in the USA, then I have something to build towards, you know, so it's not just the national team, but it's the professional game. So I've got 13, 14, you know, maybe by the time the World Cup, 18 teams or whatever it is. The number of people that we can bring through the system to lead to professional rugby is there's something for them to aim for now with the MLR. And then they're going to be bringing in players that they can play alongside, like Andy Ellis is a great example of for our players in New York that, you know, not only did they watch the All Blacks or play against the All Blacks, but they get to play with someone that's done exactly what they saw on Saturday. So the first thing they can do is, Andy, what happened? Tell me how they did it. Teach me what they did, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think I, I, I'm really excited. I, I wouldn't be here uh, if I didn't believe in the MLR. You know, it's quite easy for me to sit on the beach in New Zealand and surf for the rest of my life. But I think I think the MLR is a really, really important step into, into getting things right. And, and I'm really excited by what I've seen from the MLR so far. What we've got to sort of work on is, is the development structures below it. You know, how are we going to get the best athletes from the US into that system? How are we going to teach them to play the game properly? How are we going to find that USA rugby DNA? So I think we've got a really important role in the MLR to help fix some of those problems. And then, and then from that, you know, you've got a great pool of players that can get into the, into the Eagle system. I mean, the, the, the MLR is in its infancy. You know, yeah, it's, absolutely. It's it's too late. It's too early to sort of go. What's the influence? Because it's only just worked that we're starting. Absolutely. That but was kind of my fun. point. Because you know, I, I kept hearing people say, "Oh, we've got our MLR players out there, and they're getting their asses kicked." And I'm like, "The MLR is in its infancy, and that's a ridiculous comparison." A and B, you don't know what you're talking about. Totally. You know, Tony, you are Mr. Seattle Seawolves. You bleed. Well, you bleed that green, I, and, I, I do and you are an MLR guy. I indeed. I'm, I'm getting a kayak made in Seawolves Blue and Green. I'm very, <laughs> very excited about it. It's coming about in about a month. Uh, no, I, I'm a huge fan of the MLR. When, when MLR was first announced, I'm just delighted. And quite frankly, the thing that we were all nervous about, I think, MLR-wise, was was there going to be demand for rugby in terms of would non-rugby people come and watch rugby? And in Seattle, I think what we've done is, is, is shown the rest of the country that, you know, we can recruit, we can, we can take people from other, other sports, other interests, non-rugby people, and, and, and get them rugby mad. And we have three, 4,000 people in Seattle now that, you know, never, never knew the sport, and, and they just go everywhere, every game, volunteer, amateur, club, pro. It's incredible, absolutely incredible. So there will be the demand across the country, no doubt. So for me, that was the one question was, you know, could it be commercially viable from butts in seats standpoint? The answer is absolutely yes, it can. And I, I, I want to say something that I'm sure will be very controversial. But the, the, for me, the, sta the standard of rugby in the MLR across the board has actually decreased in the last couple of years, surely because of the science behind it, the numbers. If you have seven teams of 30 players, you know, in the first year, you've got 210 players. Now you've got 13 teams coming in you're going to have 390 players. That's a delta of 150 players that there just isn't the quality of, of, of rugby player in the United States at this time to fill 150 slots. 
Well, so, I, I, well I got to interrupt you there. I, ca- yeah. I have to categorically and unequivocally disagree with you on that. Having seen okay. some of this stuff firsthand, the, the better players, better players are coming from overseas, which is helping. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying there will be a time where the ML, the, 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 the quality of play in the MLR will explode. The pace of the game will be huge. But if you watch a lot of these games, the, the basic, basic stuff, two on one, three on two, not being executed. There are not thir- there are not 12 MLR teams that consistently can put a lineup ball in accurately. And that's just a fact. You just watch it. The quality is not there yet. And it's going to get better. There's no question. And as uh, you know, you did the breakdown the other day, Rick, with John Kerwin. Kerwin said it. He said, it's like Japan, you know. And, ju- and let's not forget, Japan was beaten by the All Blacks 145 to nil 20 years ago. And they almost beat Aussie the other day. You know, and we know Japan's success story. So, you know, let's give ourselves 10, 15-year runway with the MLR. Let's keep a positive attitude. Let's keep these investors, you know, and God bless all those, those men and women that are putting money into the, into the, uh, into the teams, you know, and, 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 and basically, you know, bleeding cash right now, even though the values of the teams apparently are, are increasing exponentially. The cash to take that to, to get from year to year, obviously, is very difficult. So the quality of the MLR will get better. We will be able to pick our national teams from that. The quality of our national teams will improve. But I think in, 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 to make that massive move within a 10-year window, I think we've got to look underneath the hood, as Rick suggested, where, where are we going to get those top quality athletes those high school college players that have some a little bit of rugby acumen so that when they're, you know, division one football days are over, they, they know a little bit about rugby and can pick up a ball and come in and play for the national team a couple, three years later. So the, the guy that was playing at center, you, you, you've signed him, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he's Lepetti. a nice player. Lepetti is a very nice player. He hasn't played a game for Seattle, but I'm pretty excited about that young man for sure. Yeah, how, three years. How, how incredibly courageous was he? He's a guy yep. pretty much come out of college now he's playing the All Blacks. He still hasn't played a game of MLR. Mm-hmm. And and he didn't take a backward step to anyone. And those are the sort of guys which show me that the players are out there. And how do we make sure that, you know, beneath MLR, the systems are feeding into the right sort of structures? And how do the structures on top of the MLR feed into the national team? And how does World Rugby help USA Rugby? How does World Rugby make sure that you do have more games? that you, you know, I don't think the Eagles are due to get back together again until they play Chile in the World Cup qualifier. That's correct. That's correct. It's crazy. They they need four or five games to get ready for that game. So, you know, it's like as someone that's come from the outside, I know from the rugby world's perspective that making rugby successful in the US is probably one of the most important things that faces world rugby at the moment because – the game globally can't be successful without it being successful in the US. So how, how does the world help? Um, but at the same time, it's how do we help ourselves? Good points. Good points. Gentlemen, we are out of time. I want to thank you for your time and your passion and your continued interest in the American rugby landscape. Mr. Rick Salizzo of Rugby United New York and Mr. Tony Riddell, Mr. Eagle and Mr. Seawolf. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, man. On behalf of these gentlemen, I'm Matt McCarthy for Rugby Wrap-Up in New York. We'll see you later. 
Check out our other segments, including our new all-inclusive college rugby wrap-up, our interview with Kevin Flynn, co-founder of the XV Series, and upcoming United Rugby Championship shows.